Thank you, Natalie. And the main thing I have to say is I'm glad that's over with. Past that, all of you have been, thank you so much for your prayers and expressions of concern. Um, the one that sticks out is Ryan Faircloth. I talked to him. He said, it's good to see that you're alive, but are you a zombie? I thought, could I really know that? I mean, what level of self-awareness do zombies have? Do we really? That's something to ponder this morning. Um, yeah, so it was like having the flu for about uh, 10 days plus. Uh, it was our kids uh, also tested positive for uh, COVID after me a little bit. Uh, miraculously, my wife Kendra did not. She has superhero genes. I don't know what it is, but she, so we got to quarantine her at home. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, but it was, it was interesting and good to get through it and be done with it and reflect on uh, what the Lord might be saying in that season. My confession is, my family knows that I don't do very well being sick. I don't like being sick at all. And in fact, I would consider if I confess to you, I'm probably the least Christian when I'm sick. Is that okay to say? I did lean on the disciplines, some of the spiritual dis disciplines to get through it, but I do confess that I'm not a great prayer or reader of scripture when I'm feeling rotten. Um, and I thought, well, yes, I can return this past week with the help of NyQuil, perhaps, and DayQuil, and prepare the sermon. And yet I felt like the Lord was overtly challenging me as he invited me to prepare a sermon on joy in the midst of recovery from COVID. Yeah, that wasn't a applause thing, Susie. That was a challenge thing. In, in fact, if I am honest with you, of, you know, of the central elements of Christmas that we have been talking about, right? If you think about the central elements that we think about, we read um, the Advent scriptures of hope, of peace, of joy, and of love. The, the central element of joy is always the one that I wrestle with most, in terms of preaching. Um, every year in Advent, it's that it's not that I, I, I would say that I pursue that element of Christmas the least, not for lack of desire, right? Who doesn't want to be filled with joy? But I would say it's because joy is the one that's most rooted in the idea of emotion, and emotions are something you either have or you don't, right? That, that hope, you can decide, as we talked about a couple years, uh, weeks ago, Scott talked about it, you can decide what you set your hope upon, right? Peace, there's an invitation in there that we're called to be peacemakers, as we heard last week, yes? And love, of course, all through Scripture, as God is a God of love, we are called to be a people of, of love. It's joy that's rooted in this idea of emotion. And also, there's, I know it's a Christian thing to say it's not happiness and, 
It's separate from circumstances, but let's be real. It's connected to happiness. It's rooted in this emotion. Our circumstances, do they not play a profound part of the level of joy that we walk in? Yes? And so every year I wrestle with this and every year I feel like the Lord disciples me a little bit more in what it means to be a person of joy. What it means to to receive this invitation to be a person of joy. There's been a few things Among the years, I've got a long way to go in terms of understanding and growing and and being that person of joy, but there's been a a few things that he reminds me again and again that I press into, especially during Christmas time. Throughout the year, yes, but especially during this Advent season when we're focused on joy. And one is this, is how different Jesus in particular talks about joy compared to how we normally think about joy. The way that scripture speaks of joy is different than our culture. One shining example, I would say, is the Beatitudes. As Jesus shares the Beatitudes, these beautiful attitudes, as he goes into the Sermon on the Mount, and and that blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed, that word can be translated legitimately happy and joyfully, right? That word blessed, blessed, happily, joyfully. Listen to the the second beatitude with that translation. That word translates joyful. Joyful are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Joyful are those who mourn. That's odd, isn't it? Why would, why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus connect and express and invite and declare someone joyful if they're mourning? How does that make sense? The other important way Jesus has been discipling me is to recognize how predominant this idea of joy was in the life and ministry of Christ. It wasn't a side issue. It wasn't something to be talked about every Advent season. But there's an element of joy and rejoicing that's throughout Scripture. We're going to notice that this morning again in the book of Isaiah. If you've brought your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah 61, we were in 53 for communion, but 61 is again part of who the Messiah would be. In fact, in our Days of the Kingdom class, we talk about it as the messianic job description. Jesus, when he goes into a synagogue in Luke 4, he opens the scroll of Isaiah, and it's this chapter, chapter 61, that he chooses to read and announce his public ministry. And he essentially is saying, this is what I will do. This is unfolding before you. 
my life and ministry, you can read Isaiah 61 and understand more completely and fully who I am and the ministry that I'm about to launch into and the ministry that he's living today. We're just going to read a portion of it. He quotes only a portion, but roots it in the whole chapter. I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter later today. But Jesus, imagine him standing up, opening the scroll of Isaiah and reading. Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. I'd like us to jump down and just read verse 7. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land. And everlasting joy will be yours. What a job description. What a promise. What a ministry that Jesus calls us to, and he invites us to this idea of joining with him in the outwork of the year of the Lord's favor, that God, in the moment, in the ministry of Christ, he is unfolding the year of God's favor. It means the season or the moment or the time we live in the age of God's favor that affects all things. It's good news to the poor. It's freedom for the prisoners. It's anointing with joy those who mourn. It's a healing of the broken hearted. I want to suggest to you that we see joy in particular playing a predominant role in this year of the Lord's favor. I want to suggest to you that that joy indeed is an emotion. And it's also an imperative and a command. God cares about our emotions. And he cares about the decisions we make. 
He cares when we grieve or our level of despair or when we're mourning. He cares when our hearts are broken in sadness. And he invites us to both receive, to feel, to emote, and decide and pursue and engage. Indeed, the testimony of Scripture is that joy is something that is bestowed, that God in his ministry is giving. He invites us to receive. Listen to the psalmist, Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. The psalmist is praying to God. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures of your right hand. This is part of what God does. This is part of his ministry. This is part of what that he does when we simply turn to him and he invites us to receive that joy. It's curious to me that many of us had the Christian faith growing up, and I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but many of us, the Christian faith that was communicated to us was purely stoic and sterile. That the faith communicated to us reflected nothing of the joy that the psalmist talks about, being filled with joy. I remember being in, in seminary, Fuller and we had chapels that we were able to attend from time to time, and there was this couple that they had with the guitar, and they were like right out of the 60s, and they were filled with joy, and they sang Beatles songs. And they, they changed the, some of the lyrics of the Beatles to, to match the gospel. And it was just fun. You just smiled just seeing and hearing them. But I still remember, after all these years, this one line, they said, it is a crime to communicate the best news of the world in dry and dusty ways. You pastors, don't do it. Don't communicate the good news of Jesus Christ in dry and dusty ways. So indeed, God is a God who delights in filling you and I, his children, with his joy, the joy of the Lord can be our strength. But I also want to suggest this, that, that it's something to be received, but as usual with things of Scripture, we have a role to play. That he invites us. Look at verse 4 of Isaiah. Verse 4 turns where it's talking about the Messiah, Jesus is reading about who he would do in the ministry that he would have. He didn't actually read this part, maybe because it's about what we would do and we would respond with, I love the three R words. They, Christians, children of God, will rebuild the ancient ruins, will restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Boy, it would be great for us to carry those 
three R words into 2021, would it not? To rebuild and to restore and renew after a really rough and rugged year. To join God in doing that. That that what God does, joy, is not only something that is given and bestowed, but it's also something for us, you and I, to engage in, to cooperate with. That's why Paul says, he tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. There's a command, there's an imperative. He's saying, do it. You say, well, if it's an emotion, can can I really do that? Well, here's a, here's a good truth for you. You know, the scripture is filled with commands that you absolutely cannot do on your own. You can't, right? You can't. How, how can I rejoice if I'm so sad? If I'm recovering from COVID-19, how do you expect me to rejoice? Can I just do it in good circumstances? No, Paul says, always all circumstances. I think that when God gives us a biblical imperative, a command, and we say, well, God, I can't do that on my own, he says, I've been waiting for you to understand that. Yep, yep. I'm going to disciple you in that. If you say, yeah, don't give up, but recognize that. It's the first place of humility. And then engage in the joy. So I want to share with you these three ways, mostly in looking at the scriptures and wrestling with joy. How God has continuing, continues to disciple me in the pursuit of being a person of joy, of, of living that that joy everlasting that Isaiah 61, 7 talks about. And the the first is this, is I've noticed that there is a profound connection between the presence of God and the beauty of God and my level of joy, my engagement of joy to to lean into presence and beauty is a part of how at least the Lord is inviting me to engage in his joy, this everlasting joy. Psalm 21.6, again, the psalmist makes a connection between God's presence and God's joy. Surely you have granted him unending blessing and made him glad with the joy of your presence. There's something in being in the manifest presence of God that brings out and stirs and invites joy, the joy of the Lord. I've read this quote before. It's by Dallas Willard, who's a Christian philosopher who's passed away and I was reading his book, I believe it was Divine Conspiracy, and I read this line. He said, God is the most joyous being in the universe. 
And I thought, do I really believe that? Like, do I, is that how I see God the Father as the most joyous being in the universe? And, and Dallas Willard il- illustrates it when he was teaching in, in uh, South Africa and he was brought to one of the beaches of South Africa and he looked over the ocean. He said, I was taken aback by the glory and the majesty and the beauty of creation and the waves coming in. He said, I had to catch my breath. He was taken by the, the beauty of the Lord. He needed a moment with his friend, just taken back. And he said, I thought, God experiences this every day. The beauty and the majesty of creation. In fact, he caused it. He created it. And he delights in that beauty. Can you imagine every day God looks upon the mountains, Pikes Peak. He looks upon the Grand Canyon. He looks upon you and I and there's a delight and a joy that's there. He said, if we're going to spend time with a God who is the creator of all things and delights in his creation and says, it is good, we're going to be engaged with the most joyous being in all the universe. And that beauty relates to that idea of relationship and presence. Is that available to us, the testimony of Christ is that he was separated from God so that we might be drawn close. So regardless of what we're doing during the day, we can engage personally with the most joyous being in creation. And if you're going to spend time focused on Him, walking with Him, sharing life with Him, then your joy level is going to increase. Whether you're recovering from COVID or you're working your job or you're spending time with a friend, that that most joyous being in all the universe is available to you. How powerful would it be if we were a people that leaned, especially in Christmas time, more into his manifest presence nearly more than our Christmas presents that we focus on, right? Can you imagine if we decided to focus on that different presence of the most joyous being in the universe rather than the busyness, the distraction that is the season? I believe our joy level would be profoundly affected. Think for a moment about the fruit of his presence and beauty. Galatians 5, we learn of the fruit of the Spirit. 
Yes? Fruit of the Spirit is what God fills us with, what he disciples us in. The first one is love. Anyone remember the second fruit of the Spirit? It is joy, yes. Free cup of coffee, David. This idea of the Spirit of God filling us again and again with who he is, his essence, his love, his joy, his peace, patience, kindness, perseverance. Second way that God has been discipling me in being a person of joy might be one that you don't think of right away, but pressing into meaningful service. And the reason that I chose that one is primarily for this intriguing scripture, one that we talk about, but really we talk about the first part about it and not the second part. It's from Hebrews. And Hebrews says this, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Right? We, we talk about that first line and we, we sing about it. We say, fix our eyes on Jesus. Here's the intriguing part I want us to think about this morning. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What? What? Let me read that again. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does the the cross have to do with joy? Why would the author put it that way, the cross? Excuse me. The cross, of course, pain, sorrow, suffering, and separation. And yet the author says, for the joy set before him, he engaged the cross. What does that mean? I I certainly don't even know if I understand the half of it yet. But what I'm understanding slowly but surely is that for Jesus, though the absolute horror of the cross, he was living the purposes of God the Father in his life. He was engaged in God's eternal work. He was working in this year of salvation and he was living the will of God. And to live the will of God, to to engage in the purposes of God, to, to, to live in a meaningful way that's eternal and connected to him, Well, friends, that's joy. Regardless of the suffering that's involved in our meaningful service and sacrifice. 
There's joy regardless of that circumstance, how, how painful and oftentimes the, the serving God involves sacrifice and pain and the giving over and yet to be connected to the will and purposes of God, connecting your life to those purposes. That's joy. I was thinking of a, the simple example of giving and tithing, right? That's a, a giving over when we give some of that money away. There's a measure of sacrifice. Of course, it pales in comparison to the cross, but there's an, a measure of sacrifice. And yet Paul says God loves a joyful giver. Right? There's, a, there's a, a connection of being a part of God's work in this world in whatever area of service that we experience joy. I was thinking of Pastor Gabby in Lebanon. He called me this week. He was concerned about my health. God bless him. He had heard that I had uh, uh, tested positive and was struggling, and, and we talked. And um, he, uh, so funny that in some ways he's li living a very similar life he said, our home has become a school with our three girls. We're, we're helping disciple and we're, they're online and we can relate to that. In other ways, we can't relate to that. He, the, the level of need in Lebanon is greater. It's real struggle. He said, professionals like doctors cannot afford to feed their families right now. If people cumbling, there, there's a, this huge humbling happening in Lebanon. And we talked about that. And he's, he says, it's hard. He says, I, I, I do, I'm, talk, I'm thinking about coming to see you guys next year because I need to get away from some of the, the hardship that is Lebanon now. Many Lebanese Christians are, if they can, many of them can't, but if they can, they're leaving Lebanon. Gabby doesn't want to do that. He is... He's in the will of God. He wants a little bit of a break from time to time. He said, I'd like to come and play Euchre again if I could next year. I said, we'll plan some Euchre events when you come. But I was thinking about the level of joy that Gabby still brings to, to life and conversation that he gives me, that he infects me regardless of his circumstances. And I have to believe it's because he's living a life that's connected to God's purposes and plans and restoration. And as he engages in living that life, regardless of the hardship level of the circumstance, that's joy. It's the joy set before us. Think about the fruit that that bears. I would argue that suffering and sorrow, when we're living God's purposes, when we're focused on living lives that honor God day to day, then it places a context of goodness, of healing and restoration on all of our circumstances of sorrow and pain. That it places an, an understanding 
This is the only way I can make sense of James 1, 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. I confess I'm not there. I do not consider it pure joy, right? And yet I understand now. He's saying, don't don't you see the, the, the work of Christ is accomplishing something far greater than your circumstances. In fact, he's using those circumstances of strain, of struggle, of pain, of difficulty. He's taking that and in God's economy, he's bringing healing and good and restoration. He's transforming your soul. He's making you into the person he died for you to be. In his hands, he takes that circumstance and brings goodness. I can rejoice in that. I can celebrate in that. To think that no matter what the circumstance, and in fact, learning that sometimes the greater suffering the greater work of the Lord within. Well, I can be filled with joy for that. And here's the the third way I'm learning to engage in joy, and that is to add more kindness into the world on the daily. Be focused on the kindness of God revealed to others. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Would you consider that with me for a moment? He's saying, would you consider, how do you spur one another on? How do you, how do you get one another to do more love? To do more good deeds on the regular. Many of you know that's a soapbox for me, the the spirit-led acts of kindness, slack, spirit-led acts of kindness. Would you cut some people some slack today, right? On the daily, sharing the goodness and the kindness of God. Why? Again, because joy and kindness and the goodness of God is central to the gospel. It's central to the ministry of Christ, starting in Isaiah 61 and Luke 4, central to what he wants to do in this world today until he returns. We can join in acts of kindness and goodness. I wonder if that's why the angels said to the shepherds, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be all the people. We get to live that joy today. Interesting how Paul referred to the kingdom of God in this way, Romans 14, 17. He said this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Stop arguing about those things. 
Stop arguing about the details, but here's what the kingdom of God is a matter of, of righteousness, of peace, and of joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is. Joy at the center. If I can brag on my wife Kendra for a moment, I didn't ask her permission, but I'm just going to do it anyways. But it's, it's this... She's like taking spirit-led acts of kindness like seriously. <laughs> she continues to return like she's living how I'm trying to get to, how I've told you to try and get to, right? She's from a, a, a gift card, welcome to a neighbor, to a, a, a gift card to a, a family member who bought a house, to, to providing for strangers who have a little extra need this Christmas, those are the things that she keeps bringing to me and say, hey, I, I, I want us to do this. And I want to do, yes. I don't know if I get to fulfill my act of kindness when I just agree, right, with, with that. But it, it's this idea that joy and kindness is flowing through and from the throne room of God. And if the Christian church needs to be known for everything, anything, it should not be hypocrisy or hate or judgment. It should be love and good deeds. It should be kindness. And think about what the fruit of spirit-led acts of kindness will produce. I think of the, the Galatians 6.6, 6, the simple principle, which is a biblical principle, is you reap what you sow in this life. If you sow sin, jealousy, envy, power games, well, you'll reap all those things. If you sow kindness, love, goodness, those are the things you'll reap. What would you like to reap this Advent season? Certainly, it's joy. The fruit of that is the gratitude that comes from sharing the righteousness, the peace, and the joy of the kingdom of God and allowing God to renew and fill us. Which of those three would you say, hey, I could start doing this. I could engage in joy. That is the one. What, what's the one that the Holy Spirit, maybe all three, you can do all three if you want, but what's the one that the Spirit said, yes, I, I need to start sowing this. Is it lean into his presence and beauty this Advent season? Maybe plan in the next couple of weeks a moment of experience, experiencing the beauty of God. We live in Colorado Springs, like the mountains are right there. There's no excuse. Maybe it's a shared activity 
with the Lord. Maybe the next time you're, you're vacuuming up the pine needles from your Christmas tree and you're all by yourself and you say, Lord, I'd, I'd like to share this moment with you and allow you, the, the most joyous being in the universe, to fill my heart and soul. Maybe it's pressing into meaningful service. Come on forward, Jen. Maybe there's this, this time that you could say, in this Advent season, in a special way, I'm going to engage in the meaningful service of sharing the love of God, the joy of God, the goodness of God with someone in particular, a family in need, a homeless individual, a, a family member, or a friend who's particularly sorrowful and sad this season. Maybe it's planning that meaningful service in some way. Or maybe it's simply every day. Advent calendar. We have a little advent calendar on our, on our uh, kitchen island. And we're trying to add family things. Could you just add to every day of advent a spirit-led act of kindness? to a stranger, sharing the love of God every day in this season. Would you pray with me? So, Lord, your, your level of joy and delight is just inconceivable to us, and yet we know it to be true. Father, that you were told that when we're living lives in response to you and your goodness, you delight in us. That's... almost inconceivable. You delight in us like you delight in a sunset or the waves crashing in on the beach. Lord, especially in this year 2020 when there's so much sorrow and loss and pain in this broken world of ours. Lord, would you help us to be a people of joy, not an authentic joy, not a pretend joy, not a plastic joy, but your joy, the joy of your salvation, the joy of your presence, the joy of your goodness. Lord, even if we mourn with others, would it be not as the world mourns, but it would be a mourning that knows 
that in all things there's renewal, restoration, there's your goodness, or as Isaiah puts it, everlasting joy. Amen.